Amen. Elohim is the name of God that we're going to look at today. It's found in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Thank you, Brother Terry. Great job, by the way, on that song. That was awesome. Thank you. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 is our uh, text, 1-1. But we're also going to have multiple texts today throughout this message as we continue this series of messages. We're really at the uh, Genesis, the inception of the series that will take us on through the fall, perhaps even, maybe even longer. We'll see. But today is the name of God that I'm just so honored and just absolutely humbled to be able to stand before you and to be able to preach and proclaim this name, uh, Elohim. Nathan Stone, in his excellent little book entitled The Names of God, makes this bold and accurate statement. He says, but we will experience God. Yes, we will experience him in such fashion. We will glorify him and enjoy him only in proportion as we know him. And it is from lack of knowledge of God that many are without spiritual power or life today, end of quote. Well, what about this name Elohim? Elohim occurs 2,750 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. 31 of those usages are found in Genesis chapter 1 alone. It is a compound word. The first two letters tell you a lot about that word Elohim. It is the word El, which means God in the singular or powerful, mighty, strong, and awesome. The other part of the verb or the word, excuse me, the noun is Eloha or Allah, which means to swear or to declare which connotes the idea that this great El, this great, magnificent, awesome God makes declarations, or you can derive from that, he makes covenants with his people. So Elohim, the one word means the great God, creator God, who enters into covenant with those he has uh, created. And so today, I want you to look with me, first of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10 will show you an example in the Old Testament Hebrew of how this word El is used, okay? I love this verse. It just brags on God, and that really is my primary emphasis as a preacher, is to brag on our great God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one in three, three in one, triune God, has multiple names but one ontology, one essence of who he is. Look at these names. For the... Jehovah or Yahweh, your Elohim. Now, that's the plural. I've heard it described this way. Elohim is plural because it describes the plurality of God's majesty. Others say it describes the plurality of his Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Elohim is God, God of all gods, King of all kings. Look at it. Lord of all lords, the great El, okay, that's an example of it, El in the Hebrew. Not Elohim, but El, the great God. And notice his attributes, the way he is described. In apposition, it says, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, nor does this great awesome God take a bribe. And so today, we have the honor, the pristine honor of studying God as our creator and then as our covenant keeper. I understand where we live. I know we live in Austin, uh, Texas, and there are many, yea, most, who would disagree with me in the basic premise and thesis of my sermon today to say that God is creator. And I do not hold to the naturalist 
to the neo-Darwinist, to the secularist, to the humanist, to the materialist position that says everything that we see and everything that we do not see is the result of macroevolution. No, I would rather say that everything that we see, such as the plants, the animals, the stars, and the moon, and the galaxies, and the universe, and preeminently human beings, and what we do not see. Are you with me today? Logic, reason, intellect, personality, musical harmony, all that we see and all that we cannot see are the direct results of an omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful, all-sufficient creator God, Elohim. That's the premise of the sermon today. If that offends you too greatly, it shouldn't offend you. Okay, we're going to look at it today. I'm passionate today about what we're studying, but I'm not polemical, okay? There's a difference between being passionate and polemical. Polemics means harsh. I mean, I mean, veins pointing out. You heathen, you know what I mean? Just pointing at you and mean-spirited. No, I'm, I'm, that's not me. It's really not. I am very passionate. And if the veins start popping out and I start getting excited or get loud, I, it's not because I'm trying to be harsh or polemical, but I am very ardently, acutely passionate for what I believe especially when it comes to this great doctrine. The preeminent doctrine to me is that he is the God who creates, is the same God who saves. The Bible says it this way. In John 1, 3, without Christ, nothing has been made. He has made all things ex nihilo. That means out of nothing. So let's get on into the message today. Number one is God is the creator, Elohim, Genesis 1-1, let's read the passage. It says, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created. Now, you got to wrap your heart and your mind around that. This is either true or this is false. God's either telling the truth or God's lying to us. That he created the heavens uh, and he created the earth. To support this statement, Psalm 33-6 says this, quote, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all of the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Verse 9, for he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, look at this, God commanded, in the beginning God created, God commanded, and it stood fast. The reason for the impeccable design and harmony of our universe is because we are the products of a, you've heard it described this way, of an intelligent designer or a grand designer, an awesome being. What or who is the cause for all of these effects? Somebody, I would assert, some grand designer, some omnipotent mind is behind the scenes who has created it. Or if you don't believe that, then your options are macroevolution. Three billion years ago, Stephen Hawking said, three billion years ago, DNA appeared. Guys, don't you know something? That is a philosophical, religious statement. The macromolecule RNA, DNA, does not 
appear. Okay, it has to be formed. It has to be created because it's irreducibly complex. But if you don't believe in creation, then you have to believe that three billion years ago there was a big bang, some primordial prebiotic soup, and over three to four billion years of time, those chemicals, they just kind of got together through mass mutation and through natural selection and through this amalgamation of all these chemicals and all this great chance and wonder, kaboom, you are here. Now, I just want you to know, I don't have that much faith. I, don't ha I literally do not have enough faith to be an evolutionist, a macroevolutionist. I don't have a problem with microevolution. I mean, that's, that's clear. But you never read in paleontology, you never read in the records where all of these intermediary links, all these missing links, they form and you can find them and, and put them together and then we appear. It just doesn't happen that way. It's never happened that way. Both creationists and evolutionists, if they are honest, will have to admit these are faith preposition, uh, propositions. Nobody was there. You either are Stephen Hawking and you just believe three billion years ago the Big Bang, it happened, and then evolution kicked in. He doesn't know that because he was not there. I do not know this. I am basing this on a faith presupposition. I am believing that God is Elohim. He is true to his nature in the beginning, he created. What hurts me is that the evolution is no longer being taught as a theory. It's now being taught as a bona fide fact. But when you read Charles Darwin on page 280 on the origin of the species in 1859, he writes these words very interestingly 151 years ago. Why then? It's not every geological formation and every stratum full of intermediary links, missing links. Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain. And this, perhaps, is the most obvious and gravest objection which can be urged against my theory. End of quote, Charles Darwin. Fast forward 150 years, brothers and sisters. We've put people on the moon. We've transplanted, transplanted hearts. We have done amazing things in microbiology and physics and chemistry, and yet we still cannot find missing links where you and I become the, the monkeys become us or the reptiles get birds and feathers and start flying all over the universe. We cannot find it. And Charles Darwin says, that's the gravest objection to my theory 150 years ago. Well, fast forward to Stephen Jay Gould. Harvard, evolutionist, Darwinian evolutionist, strong adherent, who died in 2002 at the age of 60. This is what he said, preeminent paleontologist, quote, the extreme rarity of the transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade secret of all paleontology. But guys, I want you to know, it is a theory in crisis. And there's much more at stake here than from whence we came. When you start peering into the origins of the universe and the origins of humanity, you've gone beyond now uh, theology and philosophy. Now you're moving into the realm of, of ethics and morality. Because if there is no God and we are all, the, we are all cosmic burps and accidents... And my daughter was taught this just a couple of weeks ago in her class here at locally in Austin, Texas. Listen, you are no different than the apes. 
You have evolved. Evolution is true. Genesis is wrong. Study botany, study zoology. It all points to the fact that we're the result of evolution. But I beg to differ. Is that true? And if it is true, then what does that say to morality? What does that say to ontology, who we are in our essence, in our ethics, in our morality, in our behaviors? Then should we not just act like apes, sleep with who we want to sleep with, just bludgeon whoever we want to bludgeon? There should be no moral code. There should be no penal code because we're all after, we're just apes rummaging around in a higher plane. Well, this was the debate. Stanford University, William Provine, atheist, sparred with Philip Johnson, who believes in a design creator, a creator God, an intelligent designer. And they're going at it. And they're arguing with one another. And by the way, Philip Johnson is one unique bird. I had a chance to eat breakfast with him one morning, and, and we just had a wonderful time just talking. And this is a real passion of mine, by the way. Not polemical. You ain't heard me spit fire on anybody or condemn anybody. I'm just sharing my heart with you. Sharing my heart with you. He wrote the book, Darwin on Trial, and you owe it to your mind to read it. He graduated from Harvard University of Chicago, taught law at the University of California, Berkeley, not a bastion of conservatism, I I might add. But he taught there for 20 years. He is debating William Provine, and a student stands up in the debate. Listen to this, guys. A student interrupts the debate, and he says... Professor, my background is murder and rape. And so what you're telling me, there are no morals, there are no absolutes, there's no right and wrong, that we're all the result of of evolution and we're just a higher plane of monkeys. So what are you saying? Is this okay? And Nancy Piercy writes with, I mean, insight. She says, quote, The young man's words were a stunning reminder that the origins debate is not merely academic. It involves the most fundamental principles by which people live and die, end of quote. So what I'd like to do today is I just want to to brag on God for a minute. I want us just to peer into cellular life and microbiology and peer into the heavenlies in our solar system, in the universe, in the galaxy, And let's just see the fingerprints of God, for example, first of all, with the cell. It consists of proteins and nucleic acids, DNA, RNA, the macromolecules, and each protein molecule has the sequence of amino acids much like a sentence would have, okay? This is not by chance, by the way. This this book did not come into chance. There's a sequence, there's a linear thought here. And if you take all the information coded in one cell, it would take 1,000 encyclopedias to contain all the information condensed in this one one one-thousandth of a millimeter called a cell with those macromolecules of RNA and DNA. That's why it's such a broad step to say, Stephen Hawking, that three billion years ago it appeared... Darwin did not have the he did not have the capacities that we have today. He would look at the cell like a big ping pong ball. But it's not that at all. Michael Behe is a biochemist. You ought to read this book, Darwin's Black Box, The Biochemical Challenge to Evolution. He says it is irreducibly complex. Think think with me deeply for just a moment. Much like the human eye The cell is irreducibly complex. It could not, it is mathematically 
exponentially impossible for a cell to have evolved. It is way too complex. It is, it is way too severe to say that all of a sudden it just had, it has design, it has creativity. It has been programmed like a computer. So how can you say that it all happened by accident? It could not have happened by accident. And, and Stephen Hawking says, well, it did because three billion years ago it appeared. But Francis Crick says, no, it didn't. Francis Crick, by the way, is the co-discoverer of the macromolecule DNA. He says, you're mistaken. The aliens did it. Now, I know it's comical, but it's really sad. He has a theory called directed panspermia. In this theory, Francis Crick says, billions of years ago, the aliens created a spaceship. They were too big, and they were, it took too long to, to fly interstellarly. So they put bacteria on the spaceship, and it went whizzing through the universe, and it landed on planet Earth, and the spaceship door opens, and you got bacteria, and three billion years ago, that's how you got here. Well, Jay, I want to ask a question, where did the aliens come from? And I want to ask Stephen Hawking, his new book, The Grand Design, he goes, well, I've got an answer for you. It's not God, it's gravity. Well, who created the law of gravity? You cannot have all of these effects without a grand, awesome, omnipotent, in my estimation, a creator God. Genesis 1.27 says, God created you. I tell you what, guys, I can believe that. Not only the cosmological argument for the cosmos, and the teleological argument for the design, the intricacy of the design. But I think about the ontological argument. We are different than apes and animals and plants and roachy bugs and so forth. We have essence about us. We have deity about us because God has created us in his image, not to mention the moral argument for the existence of God. There is an oughtness, an essence about us. Why is all of this? It all points back to God created them male and female. He created them in his own wonderful image. He created us. Think about our brains. Three pounds, 15 billion neurons, and billions more electrical connections. Michael Denton, here he is. Not, as best I know, not an evangelical Christian, but Michael Denton says this in his book, Eve Evolution, A Theory in Crisis. Quote, Because of the vast number of unique adaptive connections... To assemble an object remotely resembling the brain, listen to me carefully, would take an eternity. It would take an eternity even applying the most sophisticated engineering techniques. Are you with me? I mean, it would take intelligence, infinity, and eternity to create that thing in your noggin up there, that thing called the brain. How about this? Psalm 19, verse 1. Oh, I love this. The heavens declare your greatness. The oceans cry out to you. They do. The heavens, the Shemayan is the Hebrew word. That word is the same word used in Genesis 1.1, which says, in the beginning God created the Shemayan, the heavens. It is also called the expanse. One definition of Shemayan in the Hebrew is, it's the abode of the stars, Okay. 
the abode of the stars, the heavenlies, the universe, the galaxy, the outer space, if you will. They saw far. There's a Hebrew word, so far. They shout. They exclaim. They enumerate. They speak. The, the word in Hebrew literally means to mark as you would mark a tally in a record. They are shouting to us, the heavens declare what? That we are the result of nothingness, of macroevolution? No, they shout the glory of Elohim, the glory of God, and the firmament, this great expanse shows his handiwork. Quote, Because there is a law of gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists, why we exist, we do not need God. It is not necessary to invoke God to light the blue touch paper that set the universe going. Stephen Hawking, the grand design, just came out. And I juxtapose that and I compare that with this. God spoke it. God created it. Well, what is it? In our solar system alone, can we just go to a little bit of astronomy? I mean, really, guys, I think we just have not stopped. I don't think we have stopped long enough just to evaluate just our solar system with our planetary objects orbiting around the big mama star called the sun. Planet Earth, it is spinning 1,000 miles an hour, and simultaneously it is rotating in an oblong football-shaped orbit around the sun at 64,000 miles an hour. Folks, we are spinning fast. I mean, we're... It's just all... And then the sun, all of this is circling around the sun, which is 93 million miles away with the Fahrenheit degree of 11,500 degrees on the surface of the sun. Now, hold on just a second. If you alter any of this in the slightest variance, brother, you're going to freeze. The oceans are going to be baptized in the continents every day, or you're going to be incinerated with heat. Alter it just a tiny modicum, just an iota. You'd look me in the eye and tell me that was an accident. I'm sorry, I, I, can't, I can't believe. I can't believe that I was an I believe it was a creator God who did it. 100 billion stars in our galaxy. Do you, let me ask y'all, do y'all know how much 100 billion is? It's a lot. Do you know the distance between just two of the 100 and billion stars? It is 30 trillion miles. If you were to get in a spaceship and travel 17,000 miles a second, I think. Let me make sure I get this right. 17,000, well, I'm sorry, I gave it too much. 17,000 miles an hour. You know what that is? That's fast. 17,000 miles an hour. To get from one star, by average, to another star just in our galaxy... Just in our galaxy, it would take you 201,450 years just to get from one star to another star, two out of the 100 and billion stars just in our galaxy. Thank you, Hubble. Thank you, Mr. Hubble Telescope. The heavens are going, hello, hello, it's him, he's awesome. 
He created it. And the glory of God is manifest, most conspicuous through his creation. Isaiah 40, 25 and 26 says this, Compare me to the heavens. And by the way, he says, I count them all, all the stars, and I've given every one of them a what? A name. <laughs> a name. You know why God does that? Because from our perspective, heaven is limitless. It is never-ending. That's why God uses this analogy. He says, compare me. Or who will compare me? Compare me, if you will, to the heavens. Do we have a picture of the, just the galaxy out there, the solar system? I think we have. Isn't that just cool? Is that not amazing? You tell me, four billion years ago, and it happened. Just happened. 93 million miles, rotating around in all those variables. It just happened. Show the next slide. Mount Rushmore. Hey, there's my, there's my boys. I love presidential history. You got Thomas Jefferson. Oh, I'm sorry. You got George Washington, Thomas Je Jefferson, my man Roosevelt, Theodore. And then who's that other guy? I don't rightly know him. Oh, that's right. Abraham Lincoln. Yes, indeed. Now, if you were to tell me that just the right mixture of chemicals, the atmosphere, the air, and the wind, and a little bit of sleet, a little bit of cold, a little bit of frigid weather, and a little bit of heat, amalgamated, jumble it all up, shazam! You've got those guys. There. I want to tell you something. Goodsum Borglum would strongly disagree with you. You know who he is? He's the sculptor. He was a genius. I've read his biography. Amazing, gifted sculptor. And he would say, excuse me? I don't care how much time you give it or how much chemical equation you give it or how many eons or epics or eras. I'm telling you, I'm Goodson Borgham, and I created those guys. I created their presidential profiles. And yet, some expect us to believe that Washington's circulatory system and courage as well as Jefferson's genetic code and genius, and Lincoln's six-foot-four skeletal bones and brain, and Roosevelt's digestive system, yes, he loved to eat, digestive system and determination, all of those are the result of Shazam evolution. I don't buy it. I believe that God is behind all of it, just like Goodson Borglum was behind that. Well, that's just what you believe. You're exactly right. Well, I believe we're all an accident. That is your prerogative. Elohim. Creator God. Number two, he is the covenant-keeping God. I want to show you a couple of things in the Bible that are just fascinating to me about how God keeps covenant with his people. Now, you would expect this great God who has created everything, he wants to be known. And he has revealed himself through the Hebrew names, but preeminently he has revealed himself through the second person of the Godhead, his son Jesus. But look at Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. It says, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations. Abraham, okay? For an everlasting covenant to be Elohim, to you and your descendants after you. In other words, this great, awesome God is knowable. 
Elohim, Eloha means declare, or Allah means to swear. It means that I am entering into covenant with you. I am making promises to you. These are if-then scenarios, okay? If you obey me, if you love me, if you know me, I will pour out wonderful blessings upon your life. This is the covenant that I'm making with you. Look at this one in 1 Kings. This is awesome. Solomon. Uh, Terry, this is why I raise my hands in worship. Look at Solomon, altar of the Lord, spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said this prayer, Oh, Lord God, Jehovah Elohim of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and your mercy with your servants who walk before you with all of their hearts. Mr. President, I am sorry, but I beg to differ. So he made his statement this week on national TV. He says, in God we trust. doesn't matter which God. A bunch of names that all refer to the same God, the Buddhist God, the, uh, the, the, the Confucius God, the whatever God. I beg to differ. I'm talking about this God, Jehovah God, Elohim God. And by the way, our country was not founded on multiple religions. It was founded upon the freedom of religion with Jesus Christ as the centerpiece. Welcome to America. Okay, that's, that's who we are, all right, as a nation. I'm not ashamed of that. I love my Buddhist friends. In fact, I do. In fact, I'm about to go visit a bunch of them here in a few weeks. And I get to hang out with them and share Christ with them and talk to my Muslim friends. You have friends of other religions? Yes. Don't you hate them? No. Do you love them? Yes. And I'm so glad that they can be alive here in America and worship freely as they choose to worship. Come on now. If they want to worship freely and build a mosque and have holy men and imams, and the Buddhists want to have their temples and have their holy men and priests, then isn't it okay if you and I have our churches and have our crosses and we worship the one true God, Jesus Christ, his son? I want to answer my rhetorical question. Yep. Yes. It's okay. Yeah, God blessed America. He has many names, Mr. President, but it's not what you think. It's this guy, Jehovah, Elohim, God. In the names of God, Andrew Duke says, the fact that God is Elohim, he is the one that keeps his covenant, is the foundation of his creature's hope in every extremity. In John chapter 3, it says, For God so loved the cosmos... He created it. He seeks to redeem it. That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And through his son, John 1 says, he created everything. In Colossians 1, nothing was made without him. And then John 3, verse 20 says, and it's because of our unrighteousness, our wickedness, our sinfulness that we repel the light and we don't go toward the light. I, it was William Provine who made a statement to the American Atheist Association. I saw it on C-SPAN a number of years ago, and I'm going to quote him when he said, isn't it great that we do not have to answer to a deity? I really believe in my heart it's not a historical, anthropological, sociological, psychological, political, philosophical. It's none of those issues. I really believe deep down in the heart of men and women, it is a moral and a volitional issue. 
Will you bow your knees, submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, admit that he is God, you are not, he created us, I did not create him. I really believe it all boils down to whether we really want somebody else telling us how to live. I want you to know I'm not smart enough to know how to live. I need God. I need him in my life. I need him to save my soul. I need him to give me direction in my marriage. I need him to raise my three precious teenagers. I need him for every simple thing, every single thing, every complex thing. Isaac Newton said, look at your hand, sir. Look at your thumb. A man only has to look at his thumb and say, whoo, there must be a God. Have you ever checked your thumb out? Just by, by the way, have you ever checked it out? It's, it's like an amazing thing. And our noses, our noses are turned down. What if they were turned up and it rained and we died? You know, yeah. You, you, you think, and evolution really is amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's so creative and it's like, no, it's not. There's a zealous, jealous God who loves you and he wants you to know him. And that's why he's given you his son. He is Elohim creator and he is Elohim one who keeps his promises. I want to close with this story, let you out a little bit early today. And by the way, if you want all of this for kindling, for fire, when you gather together, and you can, I'll give it to you. If you want this seriously, we'll, we'll mail you a copy, a free copy of this manuscript called Creator God, and Miss Kathy will put it in the email to you and send it to you if you'd like to have it with all the... I've tried to footnote it, tried to reference it, and so forth. I've only been studying this for about 20 years. This is fascinating to me. Think about it like this, the God who keeps his promises. Adrian Rogers tells the true story of a father who went swimming with his two children uh, in the sea, in the ocean. I know it can happen. It's happened to me before, and I almost died. When I was 17 years of age, actually, I should have died. Y'all ask me sometime, and I'll tell you this story. I was out in the ocean, riptide, and this father and his two sons were pulled out to the depths of the ocean, and they could not make it back to the shore. The father turns, returns to his oldest, his daughter, and he says, Honey, I've got to leave you. If I don't get your brother back, he's not going to make it. None of us are going to make it. Do you remember? Look, look at me, sweetie. Look at me. Do you remember when Daddy taught you how to float? Yes, Daddy. Yes, Daddy. Okay, you're going to have to float. You're going to have to turn your body up. You're going to have to look to the heavens. Put your arms up. Remember how Daddy told you? I mean, you know, the waves are pounding. And she's like, Yes, Daddy. Yes, Daddy. It's okay. I want you to do I want you to float. And he leaves her in the midst of the ocean. And he swims with all of his might. He takes his young son, just a toddler, and he gets him back to the shore in the most blood-curdling scream. You've never heard a scream like this scream. This man standing to the top of his, his feet and loud as his voice, he's screaming, help me, please, somebody help me. My daughter is lost at sea. And about that time, a rescue boat comes, and lifeguards come, and people just assemble, and they're there to help him. And they rush out to the ocean. And the dad is weeping. He knows. He just fears the worst. And, and he spots something. He spots this little body, this little human. It's his daughter, Big old smile on her face, and she's looking up into the heavens, and she's floating. And the dad jumps off of the speedboat, he dives in, and he grabs her, and he goes, Oh, honey, you're alive, you're alive, you're okay, you're okay. She said, Yes, Daddy, I'm fine. You said you would come back and get me, and you did. That's the way God is. He says he will do things, he will do them. And I don't know about you, but today, especially on 9-11 on Eve or just right after it, 
it makes me look up toward heaven and say, Jesus, you promised you'd come and get us. And one day he is. Do you know him? Do you know this great God? You said, wait a minute, you can know God? You can have a relationship with God? Yes, you can. Guys, it's more than liturgy. It's more than going through the motions. It's more than just checking off our church attendance. It's more than giving our money. What it is, it's knowing God and bending our knees and bending our lives to him and letting him be the Lord of our life. If you don't know him today, I invite you where you are. Maybe you're listening on television, on national TV, or maybe you're right here in Austin, Texas, or maybe you're right here at Great Hills. Man, we invite you today to humble yourself. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And what that means is you just call out to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I know you created me, and I didn't create you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins, and through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, I call upon you to be your child. Would you save me? God, would you come into my heart today? And God promises you that he will do it. He will save you. He will keep you. Maybe you're here today and you've been praying and hoping to find a church like Great Hills in Austin, Texas that preaches the Bible, praises God with passion and worship, that is focused on making disciples and reaching the nations. You're like, well, that's the kind of church that I've been looking for. Man, we welcome you. We'd love for you to be a part of Great Hills and be a part of what God is doing. God is stirring. God is, there is a, there's some seismic spiritual grumblings going around here on Jollyville, and I'm grateful to God. And it could be that God would want you to be a part of that. He would want you to come and support and get it plugged in and live with us. And we would, we would love that as well. Can I do it one more time? I know y'all are going to be praying for me this week. When this sermon airs in Austin, Texas, I know a bunch of you are going to be praying for me, aren't you? And you're going to be saying, that's okay, Brother Danny. We're with you. Uh, we're behind you. Because what you preached today was God's word. And I love it. I love it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the body of Christ at Great Hills. I pray for souls to be saved today, God, lives to be changed. And, Lord, I pray that you would be honored. Lord, we are zealous and jealous for your name. That, God, you've created us. You sustain us. You are sovereign. We acknowledge you today. God, if you can create us and save us, surely you can help us with our marriages. God, surely you can help us with our jobs. God, surely you can help us with our finances and with the dynamics of family life. Lord, you are great. You are awesome. We call upon you today, Elohim, that you would remember your covenants, your promises with us and keep them. Thank you, O oh God, that you will. Thank you, God, that you are the creator of all that we see. And even those mysterious, wonderful things like love and faith and reason and hope and logic that we cannot see, inanimate things, things of the spiritual world. Lord, we worship you today. I acknowledge your sovereignty. I give you praise. And I pray now, Lord, that you would work in our church. God, we need you to work in our church. God, we are desperate at 10,500 Jollyville, Austin, Texas. God, we are desperate for a move of God, an unprecedented, sweeping move of God where we will genuinely stand for you and genuinely with compassion and with inexorable zeal, God, we will reach out to our neighbors and to the nations. Lord, would you help us? 
Lord, never have I been so dependent upon you. God, thank you for putting me in this place of absolute dependence upon the Lord God. God, would you move upon this church? I pray, God, now that you would bring people into our fellowship. God, you would speak to hearts. You would change lives. Lord, for some people today, God, this is radical. God, this is so radical. They realize, Lord Jesus, being a part of Great Hills Baptist Church is going to demand from them they have to come out of their cesspool of mediocrity. And, Lord, they got to jettison some of these ungodly worldviews. And, Lord, they are shook up. And, Lord, if I could just enter in their world for just a moment, just pray for them, God, say, may they be strong. God, would you please help them? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Terry's going to lead us in our song. We invite you to come. God bless you as you do.